Okay, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. To sum up, all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil, or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life, to love and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Okay, so, um, he had just gotten done teaching, giving instruction to wives, and then to husbands, and before that he had given instructions to all of us in verse 13 of chapter 2, to submit to authority, uh, the authorities of the land, and then he had given in verse 18 of chapter 2 to servants to be submissive to their masters. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, he said, in the same way, and then he gives instructions to wives. And then in verse 7 of chapter 3, he says to husbands, in the same way, and then he gives instructions to husbands, as we had looked at last time. Now he says, to sum up all of you, so now he's gathering, he says, this is instruction for all of you. It's, it's not singled out for wives or singled out for husbands. He says, this is for all of you. He says, I want you to be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. You know, we get this instruction in the Bible, which is so rich and so good. And it's not just a bunch of platitudes. All of this has been demonstrated to us in Jesus Christ. It's all been demonstrated to us. And that we have Jesus who has gone before us and, and, uh, and, and paved this way for us is enormously helpful. If we look at the way Jesus addressed those that he was calling to himself, you see this enormous compassion so if you look in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 onward, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he says, Come to me. Come to me. This is the message of the gospel. Jesus is encouraging people to come. Come to me. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus welcomes us. You see the kindness of Jesus to those whom he's calling. You see his enormous kindness. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He says, you take my cares, you, you lay all your cares at the cross and take my cares upon you Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. This is exactly what Jesus is. He is gentle and humble in heart. And he says, if you do this, you're going to find rest for your souls. In the presence of Jesus, we find rest for our souls. And he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so, whenever you watch the ministry of Jesus, I mean, Jesus had some really long days. There's like 
one really long day in the book of Acts where he just did so much. And you track it, it's, it's, it's one day. Uh, uh, there is one day that's covered this huge amount of ministry. But in the midst of that, you never see Jesus neurotic. He is just calm and at peace, serving his Father. And he says, I am, he says, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And that's why when we learn in 1 Peter, in verse 8, we see these very qualities in Jesus. We can learn from Jesus and follow his example. You know, there, there, are, there are some faiths, and I look at the, the, the leaders of that faith, they're, they're different, different religions, and you, you look at them, and, and you just think, there's no way you have a good example before you. What we have in Christ is enormously helpful. And then in verse 9, he says, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. And uh, this, is, this is especially uh, important for, for those of us who are quick-witted. Uh, we want to, you know, somebody says something to us, we want to come back with something uh, uh, even a little bit more extreme. And he says, but give a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. When we bless in return, we are blessed. When we blessed, we are blessed in return. We receive back over again. We are blessed in return. It's, it, it, you know, it, it's really, really nice to say, well, we don't bless others in order to get a blessing. But we get a blessing when we bless others. Uh, uh, so we may say, you know, I'm, I, I, I look at this in a more altruistic way, and, and, uh, and we don't serve God in order to get a blessing. But we certainly are blessed when we serve God. And so you see, it comes back to us in the very way that we give it out. And so if you look in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, Luke six thirty-seven says this, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. So he says that if you pardon others, you yourself will be pardoned. He says if, if you don't condemn others, others won't condemn you. He says, if you, if you don't go around doing a whole lot of judging, people aren't going to judge you a lot. If you get in the habit of pardoning people, people do something that, that hurts you, that offends you. If you forgive them, walk in forgiveness, pardon them, you will be pardoned. Then he says in verse 38, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Many times we are taught this in the, in the sense of financial giving. This is not written in the sense of financial giving. So it may, may be true in the sense of financial giving as well. But this particular teaching is around the point of not judging, of, of not condemning, and of pardoning. And he says, as you give it, it's going to come back to you many times over. And he says, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. This is exactly what I'm talking about. In the way we give it out, we get it back. If we give out kindness, we get kindness back. If you were to look at a person who doesn't forgive anybody else, who's very slow to forgive others, people will be very slow to forgive them. If you learn to forgive quickly and say, it's okay, don't worry about it. It's all right. Uh, um, if, you, if you say to people in the world, I forgive you, it's not a bad thing, but sometimes they almost don't understand the word, I forgive you. If you just say, it's all right, no, no problem, don't, don't worry, I'm good. 
you, you walk in forgiveness toward them. You get forgiveness back over and over again. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. What we dish out, we pre- predominantly will, we will get back uh, uh, these things. And so what he does is he gives us this enormous instruction for peace in the home. Who would not like to have peace in their home? Oh, like nobody, right? Everybody wants to have peace in their home. And he gives us this instruction in verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 3. The one who desires life to love and see good days. So if you desire life and you want to see good days, this is what you have to do. He's quoting from, from the book of Psalms here, and now he's, he's, he's giving it to us again here in, 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 uh, in, verse, in verse 10. He's quoting from Psalm 34, but he says, the one who desires life to love and see good days, he first tells us what we shouldn't do. He says, you keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. You must turn away from evil and do good. You must turn away from evil. There are many things that we will experience in life where we will be confronted with opportunities to to do evil. He says, turn away from it. Turn away. That is a very physical thing. You turn away from it. Oh, let me just watch this for a while. I'm not doing it. I'm just watching it. No, he says, turn away. Turn away from it. He says, turn away from evil. Turn away from evil. And, and, uh, and that's what his instruction is. He must turn away from evil and do good. We must replace it with acts of good. Specific acts of good. When we do good acts for people, maybe an act of service, it may be serving food, it may be, be uh, picking up chairs, it may be cleaning up. Acts of good, you will receive back acts of good in your life. If you want peace in your home, you get in the practice of serving others. It is in service that we get these things back. This is exactly what you see. He says, you got to not do these things, and you have to do good. You have to do specific acts of good. If you want peace in your home, he says, who is the one who desires life to love and see good days? You want to have good life and see good days? He says, you have to do specific acts of good. And he must seek peace and pursue it. You must seek peace. We have to seek out the way of peace and then pursue it. He says, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. You know, back in, 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 verse, in verse 7, he had told husbands, if you don't get this life with your wife right, he says in the end of verse 7, your prayers are going to be hindered. Your prayers will be hindered. Here he tells us in, in, verse, um, in verse 12, he says, and his ears attend to their prayer. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. So you can be praying and there's very little action. Or you can be praying and there's a lot of attendance to your prayers. He tells us how to have the difference. He says, if you want to have God's eyes looking upon you and his ear attentive to your prayers, start doing specific acts of good. Do good things for others. You seek peace and pursue it. Turn away from evil. Do acts of good and God hears your prayers all the more. And you say, well, does he really answer some people's prayers more than others? I guarantee it. For sure. For sure. You honor God. You spend years and years honoring God and following him. 
there's greater attentiveness to your prayers. And this is why you look at, at great men and great women of God. I mean, you see the, the power in their prayers. Because God's very attentive to their prayers. Because a lifetime they have spent doing good, turning away from evil, and in service to the Lord. Jesus said, whoever serves me, the Father will honor him in John chapter 12. You serve Jesus, the Father will honor you. This is the promise. Then he says, uh, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. His face is against them. You do evil, it's hard. Life is hard. There's not peace in your home. And, and uh, this is the teaching that he gives to us. And uh, uh, let's read a couple of more verses, and then I'm going to go back over the very things that we've read and discussed a little bit more. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Proving zealous for what is good. Zealous means that we, we're active. And he says, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. If you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you will be blessed. This is what really concerns the Jewish people in Asia Minor to whom he is, is speaking. It is really that they are undergoing a lot of suffering. And he says that if you're going to be suffering for, the, for righteousness, you're going to be blessed. And he says, don't fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Okay, so I read all of this and behavior, and I say, okay, the great thing about the Bible is we have specific instruction to teach us. But we don't merely have specific instruction. We have the lives of people. And we watch their lives, and it is to us another mode of instruction. So let's look at some of the lives of great men in the Bible, and let's look at, at, uh, uh, at the way that they dealt with things. So we get this picture here that, you know, that, that we should be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit. That's in verse 8. And then in verse 9, not returning evil for evil or insult or for insult, but giving a blessing instead. So this is what he tells us. And as I look at this, you know, you, okay, let's now look at the lives of some of these people and wonder, is there a time that we do things differently? Is there a time in, in dialogue that we do things differently? And let me, let me start with this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 it talks about a different time for each occasion, a different, a different thing for each occasion. He says in verse 1, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, there is an appointed time for everything, and there is time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up is lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And we see the same thing in, in Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. And he goes through this dichotomy of times. And is Dickens the only one allowed to, to teach with controversy? No, the Bible teaches us with controversy. There are occasions 
where we stand up for what is right. And this is what I want to look at. In the midst of what we've just been instructed in 1 Peter, and let me, let me say it again, 1 Peter 1, a, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil to anyone. This is being taught by Peter. Let's look at Peter in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, verse 18. Acts chapter 4, verse 18. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and what we have heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them. So, here they had been instructed by the authorities, the Jewish authorities, not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And Peter said, you know, i got to speak up. He said, should I listen to God or listen to you? And you'd be like, well, Peter, what about being humble, being sympathetic, being kind-hearted? What I'm trying to say is I read this portion in the book of 1 Peter, and I'm like, hmm, there's got to be a contrary time. There's got to be a different sort of time when things, when things are worded more strongly. Look in, in Acts chapter 5. We'll look at Peter again. In Acts chapter 5, verse 27. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you t- intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So he says, You're filling Jerusalem with the teachings we told you not to do, and you're trying to bring this man's blood, Jesus' blood, upon us. Now, it was these very Jewish leaders right there, just 40 days earlier, or within the last couple of months, that had said at Jesus' trial, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. They called it upon themselves and upon their children. And it's going to be upon them in 70 AD, in the 70 AD judgment. So, so uh, uh, they said, you're trying to put this guy's blood upon us. And, and uh, so Peter doesn't come back and say, no, 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 no. I'm not trying to put this man's blood upon you. Here's what Peter says in response. Verse 29 of Acts chapter 5. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on the cross. I mean, you're trying to put this man's blood upon us? He says, you're the guys who strung him up. You are the guys and, and, uh, uh, whom you had put to death by hanging him on the cross. He just rubbed it right in. He is the one whom God exalted to the right hand as prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So you see the, the power of this. There is a time to speak up and to feel as if, oh, well, I'm a Christian and, you know, I apologize for living. I'm I'm sorry to get in your way. Would you please, you know, excuse me? Did I say anything to offend you? That is the worst thing I could have ever done. You you don't see that in these people's lives. So so maybe Peter was an anomaly. Let's look at somebody else. Let's look at, at Paul. Paul, in the book of Acts, chapter 23. Paul, chapter 23. I mean, Acts, chapter 23, verse 1. 
Paul looking intently at the council. Paul's not looking down on the ground and shuffling his feet. He looked intently at the council. And Paul knew what this council was. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He knew the high priest. There was was, uh, Annas, who was appointed high priest. There was Caiaphas, his son-in-law, that because the Romans didn't like Annas, they appointed Caiaphas instead. But still, Annas had a lot of power. Caiaphas was the one that was recognized by, by, uh, um, by the Romans. Annas was still recognized very much by the Jews. And so, but anyway, it, and, and um, so, so Ananias, I'm sorry, uh, Ananias. There was Annas, and now that you hear, there's Ananias. It says in verse, verse 1, Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? But the bystanders said, Do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil against the ruler of your people. Now, there are some New Age Bibles that say Paul said, I'm sorry. He never said, I'm sorry. He never apologized for this, ever. So, he knew who Ananias was. There was Annas was from the times of Jesus. This is much later. This is Ananias now. He's commanding those to strike Paul on the mouth because Paul said, I've lived with a perfectly good conscience, which he was not allowed to do. That was a violation of the law. He had not yet been found guilty of anything. And so Paul turns. He says, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. What about this being humble and gentle and sympathetic? I mean, this is a different sort of Paul than Paul needed to listen to Peter's teaching or something. And he says, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. We might not appreciate that, but that means you're dirty on the inside. You might be white on the outside, but you're filthy inside. And they're like, and and he says, you sit and you try me according to the law, and in violation of the law, do you order me to be struck? You're stinking hypocrite, he's essentially telling him. And then they said, the bystanders are like, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I wasn't aware, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it's written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And he never apologized. I think, I think, again, I'm not sure, but I think Paul is saying, he's not high priest. Jesus is high priest. It says it clearly in the book of Romans that Jesus is high, in the book of, of Hebrews, that Jesus is high priest. He's our faithful high priest. Paul knows this. He says, if he were the high priest, I wouldn't have said it. He's not even recognizing his priesthood. He never apologized, ever, for this. Paul was just right in his face. Okay, well, maybe Paul and Peter really didn't really quite know what was right here. Maybe, maybe they really should have acted a little bit more humbly. Okay, let's look in, in, Luke, in Luke chapter 11. This is, this is the classic portion that I come back to all the time. Luke chapter 11. Now, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. Everything that Jesus did, we know. Everything he did was right. So Jesus gets invited to a Pharisee's home for lunch. All right, we've looked at this before, but it is oh so potent. Verse 37 of Luke chapter 11. Now, when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and he went and he reclined at the table. So he's sitting in this guy's house for lunch. You'd think he'd be on his best behavior. 
Verse 38, when the Pharisees saw it, he was surprised that he did not first ceremonially wash before the meal. The Pharisee didn't say anything. He just thought this in his own mind. He said, why isn't he washing his hands? You know, if he were such a holy man, he'd be washing his hands before the meal. But the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but inside of it you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity, and then all things will be clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet you disregard justice and the love of God. But these things you should have, these things you should have done without neglecting the others. So he says, he's not just coming after the Pharisee that invited him for lunch. All the other Pharisees that have come in for lunch, he's going after them all. He says, you pay tithe on every little spice that you have, but you forget the deeper things of justice and the love of God. He said, you should do these things, you should think about justice and the love of God without neglecting the others. In other words, that your tithing on everything is fine, but don't forget about justice and the love of God. Verse 33, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. I mean, that's pretty strong words for a guy just thinking you should have washed your hands. Isn't it? What about this humble thing that Jesus should be walking around like, um, thank you for having me for lunch. I mean, I just this was so kind of you. No, he didn't. I mean, he just let him have it. Just let the guy have it. There is a place for these sorts of things. And uh, uh, verse 45, And one of the lawyers said to him in reply, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. So in other words, when you say this to the Pharisees, you insult us too. And this is not lawyers like we have lawyers. These are, these are, these are religious scholars. They're religious scholars. And people would go to them for consultation on, on how, how to respond to things because they knew all about the law. And he says, when you say this, you insult us too. Imagine people saying, you've offended me. Oh, I am so sorry. I should never offend anybody. I mean, that's like, that's like one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not offend. <laughs> it's not just offending. He says, when you say this, you insult us. This is much stronger than offending. You insult us. And Jesus says in verse 46, but he said, Woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh down men with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses and approve of the deeds of your father because fathers, because they who it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will, send some of, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, and some they will persecute. So that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who is killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Jesus is saying, this generation, why this generation? Because they had denied the Messiahship of Jesus on the false grounds of his being demon-possessed. And that's what the, 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 the uh, unpardonable sin hit them. And we see this in the, book, uh, in the Gospel according to Matthew. And he said, 
all the blood of all the prophets from Abel, that was the first prophet to die, that was the, the son of Adam and Eve, early on. He says, he says uh, uh, all the way to Zechariah. Zechariah was the last prophet in the Old Testament to be killed. If you look in the Jewish scriptures, they have the same scriptures we do, but their order is different. Their last book is Second Chronicles. The last prophet to die in Second Chronicles is Zechariah. So he's saying from A to Z, from beginning to end, you're responsible for the death of all the prophets. It's all going to be on you. Jesus, haven't you read First Peter? Well, it hadn't yet been written, but he's supposed to know. There is a time for these things, and I think a lot about this, because when you're standing up for things, when you're standing up for that which is good and right, people will come against you, and you don't necessarily say, well, you know, I'm really sorry. Sorry. I didn't want to offend anybody. No. I mean, there are going to come some things that are going to bring an offense. I mean, there's, there's some folks in here, and God bless them, that, that, that are serving on, on, uh, uh, on, on the Right to Life group, and they care a lot about this. They care a lot about human life. And I'm 100% for the life of every baby. And whether they're, they're, they're in the womb or out of the womb, I'm for their life. I'm for women too. But I'm also for life. And you stand up and you take a stand for something like this, a lot of people are going to be offended by this and come against you. And, uh, um, uh, but you take a stand for that which you believe is right. You take a stand for that which is good. There's nothing wrong with taking a stand. So you read things like this in 1 Peter. And then you look at the life of Jesus. Jesus said, I am gentle and humble in heart. Come to me. For those that are coming, he was welcoming them. Peter is speaking in the body of Christ. You're dealing with this. But when people come against you and teach things against God, there's a time to take a stand. There's a time to take a stand. So what we see in the scriptures, we see this, this dichotomy. We see that he's, always, he's calling us to do things that are right and good. You want to have peace in your home, you speak respectfully. But there's also a time that you speak and you say these things. And, and this came to me just this week. I was in, in Italy at this conference, and I, spoke, I was asked to speak on the origin of life. And, you know, I, I get really excited about these things, and I talk about this. And... I keep saying in my message, address the science. Would you address the science? And what people always want to do is they come with ad hominem attacks and they address Jim Tour. Jim Tour's this, Jim Tour's stupid, Jim Tour doesn't know, Jim Tour's all sorts of things. And I'm like, okay, well, you just address the science. What did I teach that was wrong? And then after that, then they said, well, it's your rhetoric. You come with it so strong. It's your rhetoric. Again, they're not addressing the science. It's, it was first gym tour, and the ad hominem attacks weren't stopping me. And it was like, well, then it's your presentation. Your presentation is too strong. You should walk up to us and say, I am very sorry, but you might want to think about the fact that um, uh, maybe that chemistry might not work that you're proposing. No, I just say it. Your chemistry doesn't work. It doesn't happen this way. And they say, well, your rhetoric is too strong. And I thought about this. They cannot come against the science. And, and then there was a question and answer time, and they were asking me about this thing, and I said, I am torn. I am torn, because I was meditating on these portions, preparing for the message. So a week ago, I was preparing for this me message. And uh, I said, I'm torn. I'm torn between the, the instruction 
I get in 1 Peter to be kind and gentle in spirit. And woe to you Pharisees, woe to you lawyers. Because there is a time to speak up. Because what's happening is through their teaching, many people are being drawn astray. They think there is no God. Life can just start on its own. And so I'm coming with another view. I say, your chemistry doesn't work. You're going to have to come with another proposal here. And so, so this will come in your life. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm warning you what's going to happen in your life. There's going to come times in your life where you're going to stand for a cause. That cause might be the right for life of the un- unborn. The cause might be something else that you're standing up for. And people are going to come against you. And people are going to be, be offended. And you say, why don't you be quiet about that? My own family, when I came to know the Lord, they were like, can't you just tone it down a bit? My father used to say, can't can you be one of those quiet ones? Why do you have to stand on campus and preach like this? Because I was doing open air preaching as an undergraduate, standing on the steps to the chapel. The main chapel was right in the center of campus, and I would stand on the steps and, and preach these things. And he said, maybe you could be one of the quiet ones. He always wanted me to be quiet. And, and, uh, um, and you will always find people wanting you to be quiet. And you say, well, you know, this is what I'm instructed in, in First Peter. But then you look how Peter himself acted. He said, God has told us to speak. Should we obey God or should we obey man? We have to speak up. There it's this, both of these are demonstrated for us in the Bible. God's, God teaches us with contradictions. The world teaches us with con- contradictions. Because there's a duality of things. And there is a time. There's a time to speak up. A time to stand up for things. And there's another time you just say, okay. And there's a time that, that, that you, you deal with things more quietly. There's a time in your own home where you're going to have to stand up and put your foot down and say to your kids, no, you're not going to do that. Yes, all the other kids are allowed to do that. You're not going to do that because our family's different. There are things you're going to have to take a stand on. And, and uh, uh, this is what we see in the Bible. And that's the beauty of it. This word is so good. If you don't know the Lord, if you don't know the Lord, it is very hard to act upon these things. If you don't know the Lord, please come and see me. I will set up a time to speak with you. We'll, we'll do it today over lunch. Set up a time to speak to you. And if you're listening online, I will set up a time to speak with you. Just send me an email to, to tour at drjamestour.org. And we will get together and I'll set up a Zoom time to meet with you. And, and let me share with you about the Lord. Give me that opportunity. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the instruction that we get. And thank you for the instruction that we get through your life, Lord Jesus. How you were emphatic in the proclamation of the goodness of your father. And how you stood against hypocrisy in religious and spiritual leaders. Yet you were kind and gracious to the lowly. To those that came, to the sinners, to the tax collectors, to the prostitutes, you welcomed them in. And you spoke kindly to them and embraced them. Father, let us be like Jesus. Let us take stands in areas where we need to take a stand. And let us speak with love and tenderness as we deal with those with, with, uh, uh, who are seeking. Father, I pray for these young people as they're going to be just torn in their lives in different situations. What do I say? What do I speak? 
Lord, I pray that you would teach them from the word of God how you have a broad understanding of these things. Teach us and instruct us. Father, for those that don't know you, oh Lord, I pray that you would save souls. Would you save souls? Lord, we cannot, we cannot continue like many places continue without seeing souls saved. Father, we must see salvations. Father, give us children lest we die. Lord, give us salvations, I pray. Let people get saved and let, let us see it with our own eyes. Let us see people coming to the feet of Jesus in repentance. Lord, bring in salvations this very day, I pray. For the glory of Jesus and in his name, amen.